the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We cannot allow culture or any place or anything that calls itself a church to dictate what we accept. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. And now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. Well, I titled this message, Having to Wait. Nobody likes to wait. It's like, have you ever had to wait? Of course I have. We've all had to wait. Why is it that whenever we're in a hurry, it seems like we have to wait a little bit more? You know, that's when, you know, you got to get across town here in L.A. and uh, you catch every red light. Uh, you get behind a bus. Like, no, not the bus, okay? Uh, you get behind a person that's driving 20 miles an hour below the speed limit. You're like, oh, you know, you know I, I left my house early on Tuesday because we do a prayer meeting here. So I left my house even earlier than I normally do to get here for the prayer meeting. And you know, I'm coming up over the hill because I moved to the valley now and I'm coming up over the hill on the 405 and everything was moving, you know, just moving. And then all of a sudden hit the hill and just, it's just like a dead still. And it's like, what is going on? There was there a massive wreck. I mean, like, why is there so much traffic at this time? And uh, they were street sweeping the uh, high occupancy lane, the you know, the carpool lane, like, Hey, couldn't you do that at like midnight? I mean, like, what are you doing in, in, in traffic time, you know? So everyone had to get out of the, you know, carpool lane and then, you know, they're clogging. So, of course, everything just comes to a dead standstill until you get past it. Then, boom, everyone's going 90 again, you know. But, but of all the days, they've never done it on a Tuesday. But they did it on last Tuesday. And I mean, I'm just like, I'm texting Pastor Shannon, you know, let Benjamin go a little longer. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I'm like, oh my goodness. I just hate when that happens. Yes, when we're in a hurry, there's always an extra line in front of us. You know, a recent survey estimates that Americans spend 37 billion hours per year waiting in lines. Hey, guess what? I believe it because I always end up in the longest line. If I go to the grocery store, I'll look in around. I'm thinking, okay, this is the shortest line. Then I get there and the person in front of me, price check. Oh, okay, I'm there forever. You know, and it's like, or what about when you go to the bank, you know, and there's like 12 people in line. You're thinking like, why did everyone get here right when I got here? It's like 12 people in line and there's only one teller working. No. Or what about when you call a dentist? Like, when do you call a dentist? Do you just call the dentist for no reason? I mean, when you call a dentist, it's because something inside of your mouth is in pain, right? And you call and you say, I need to come in and see the dentist. And they tell you, yes, we can squeeze you in in six weeks. Six weeks. 
I was thinking like six minutes. I'm in pain here. Okay, how about today? Yes, we all have to wait from traffic lines to, well, everywhere else we go. But tonight, we'll see how Jesus had to wait a little longer himself. For he chose to wait. Why did he choose to wait? Because Jesus had a plan. And every day that he chose to wait, every day that he put off the plans of the religious leaders from seizing him was another day that Jesus could touch the lives of someone else. Another day that he could set more examples and make huge impacts on his culture. Yes, Jesus had a plan. Jesus had a purpose. So as we look in John chapter 7, we're going to look at the later part of the chapter. But earlier in John chapter 7, Jesus, he was kind of laying low. Now, why was he laying low? Meaning he was trying to kind of be away from the crowds. It's because the religious leaders, they wanted to kill Jesus. And he knew that. You know, but why did they want to kill him? Because the people were flocking to Jesus. For he was so much different than the religious leaders were. Yes, the religious leaders, they were intelligent, yet they were heartless. They had an appearance of holiness, yet they were filled with hypocrisy. They spoke the words of God, yet they spoke them in a way that left people empty and wondering wondering where they really stood with God, which caused them to become totally disconnected, the religious leaders, to the people. For they embraced their religious power and position over their true calling from God to being loving shepherds over God's people by teaching the truth of his word to his people, to give God's people an understanding of who God really was and how he wanted them to live. Now, you know, Jesus came along and just revolutionary. He was all of a sudden calling God uh, our father now. You know, the you know, the prayer there in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, what we call the Lord's Prayer. You know, it's like our father who art in heaven. Like what? We can call him our father, our papa, our daddy, our Abba? Really? It's like, so it's kind of revolutionary, but yet you look through some of the Psalms, which we're going to be going through, and you see such intimacy where King David's crying out to the Lord, oh, my Lord, my shepherd, my, you know, my God. It's like, I mean, there was an intimacy back there, but that was all lost with these religious leaders in Jesus' day. Do you remember when Moses was encouraged by his father-in-law Jethro to teach the laws of God to all of his leaders? Why? Why was he encouraged to teach the laws of God to his leaders so that the leaders could teach the people? See, because God wanted the people to know who he really was. Moses was told in Exodus 18, 20, he says, teach your leaders the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and to work uh, and what they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and let them judge the people at all the times. So, you know, God wanted the people, uh, you know, not only the leaders to have a good understanding, but he wanted the people to have an understanding about who he was. You know, God's people, you know, they drifted away from this simple way of teaching the truths of God's word. And what was the end result of that? Well, the people didn't understand 
the truths of God. God seemed to be more and more distant to them. And the synagogue ended up being the very place that God no longer dwelled in. Like, hey, here's the synagogue. This must be God's house, right? Well, no, he's not there anymore. He left. It wasn't because God didn't want to be found by the people, but rather the priests had turned the relationship with God into nothing more than a dead religious ceremony, totally lifeless. And see, that's the thing with the law of God. And then Romans 3.23 says, there's none righteous. You know, he goes, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's none righteous. And then he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How did we get in this position? Romans 5.12. It says, because of one man, Adam, he sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. They were the first two human beings. So their DNA was now tainted with a sin nature. So every baby that came out of Eve is tainted now with a sin nature. But what did God do? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God came down to the earth to die on the cross. And then, of course, it goes on to say, you know, in Romans 6, 23. This is the Romans road, by the way. 310, 323, 512, 58, then 623. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. All the way to Romans 10, 13, if you confess the Lord and you believe it in your heart, then you shall be saved. And so that's the gospel message, and I was able to share that. And so this is what God desires us to do, is to share with people that this thing about Jesus is not some religion. Hey, come join my religion. Come join my denomination. This is why we are an interdenominational church, meaning, no, we're not the Baptist Presbyterian Catholic Church. We're just a group of believers that meet here in this building. The relationship is with Christ. Amen. So, again, uh, how does that still happen today? How do we have churches that are still dead today? How does it happen? And can it still happen? Yes, it still happens. Yes, it's for three main reasons. This is why we have dead churches today. This is why. Number one. When a church rejects the Bible as the authoritative written word of God. So you'll have churches like, oh, yes, we believe in the Bible is God's word. Well, some of it. See, and then they, they, they teach things that are against the Bible. We don't believe that part. Oh, okay. All right. So you don't believe that the entire 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the authoritative word of God. You don't believe that. Okay. Number two by not embracing it in its entirety. You know, they might say, well, I believe this book and that book and that book and this book, but you're not embracing it in its entirety. That's the beginning of the end for any church. When people pick and choose what they like and dislike, know this, we cannot allow culture or any place or anything that calls itself a church to dictate what we accept or no longer accept out of the Bible. For God never changes, nor does his word. It never changes. Let's not forget what the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.20. He says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but it was men that were moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Yes, number one, we must accept the Bible as the authoritative word of God. And if we take anything out of it or add anything to it, like number two, if we don't embrace it in its entirety, 
That's why it says in Revelation uh, 22, 18, it says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If you add to them, God shall add to you the plagues that are written in this book. You ever read through the book of Revelation? There's a few plagues in there, plagues that you don't want to ever see on anybody. He says, you add to God's word, these plagues will be added to you. And if anyone takes away the words from the book of this prophecy, so you take anything away, well, that culture and that lifestyle, that lifestyle is accepted in our culture. Now, we even have laws that have been changed. Oh, okay. But if you take that away from God's word, he says, if anyone takes away the words of the prophecy, God shall take his part out of the tree of life from the holy city, which was written in his book. So if you now say what God said is sin and you say it's not sin now, your life will be taken out of the holy temple of God and the book of life. Wow. Okay. So you don't mess with the word of God. You, you accept it as the authoritative word of God. You, you embrace it it's in, in its entirety. And number three, pastors must have vision. They must have vision. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people will perish. Today, many religions have dried up. They no longer teach about sin and how it separates us from God. How we need to repent and receive the forgiveness of our sins so that we can have a restored fellowship with our maker. So we can have hope for our future. Sunday was not what you call a come to Jesus message. I mean, we were doing a recap of the entire Ten Commandments and how the United States and the world has completely rejected it. And we had like 20 people make commitments to Christ. Christ on this Sunday. And it's not like, this is not like this flowery message. No, this is the hardcore word of God. And if you don't obey this, then you're rejecting what God's called us for us on this planet. And we had these people give their life to Christ. We had a whole group of young people. There's a group of young men, like 19, 20 years old. There were six of them and uh, they all gave their life to Christ. It was just great. It was awesome. Praise the Lord for all of that. Yes, we have to teach the truth of God's word. We need to tell people they have to repent and receive Christ in their heart for the forgiveness of their sins so that we can have a restored fellowship with our maker so that we can have hope for our future. But remember when David sinned, you know, King David, when he sinned with the sin of Bathsheba, we talked a little bit about that in our message here just Sunday, but it separated him from God. And he was at the point of personal collapse because he didn't repent right away from that whole deal. He had her husband killed. I mean, there, he was a guilty man. And he said, Lord, it's like my bones have dried up inside of me. It was some year, maybe a little more than a year before he repented. That's why he finally cried out in Psalm 5110. He says, oh God, created me a clean heart. You know, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Could you pray a prayer like that? I mean, who couldn't pray a prayer like that? God, help me. Restore me. Bring joy back in my salvation. I'm just motoring through life here and I'm not very happy about it restore a joy. See, the great thing about God is sometimes we can take our burdens to him. We can take our brokenness to him and we can say, Lord, this is the problem right over here. And sometimes the Lord will take that problem and he'll fix it. And the problem's no longer there. But then there's other times that the Lord says, look, I'm going to do a refining work in your life. So I'm not going to take the problem away 
But what I'm going to do is in the midst of the problem, in the midst of the burden, in the midst of the brokenness, I'm going to give you my peace. So you should be falling apart at the seams, but you're not. Because I'm going to give you my peace in the midst of the circumstance. Now, the Lord's done it both ways with me. Now, I will tell you right up front, I like it better when he just takes the problem away. Okay? I like that better. But there's times that he doesn't. Well, we were in real financial strain for about three and a half years. I mean, it was so bad. And I mean, trust me, I would have wished someone would have dropped the lottery on me right then. Let me just get out of this problem right here. But uh, the Lord chose to leave me in it for three and a half years. But because of that, I learned to trust him for the the, the next 30 years of my life. Because of that three and a half years, it was just ended up being a joy. I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I have to be honest, I'm glad that I went through it the way that it was. See, David was seeking after a washed and cleaned heart, though. One that was refreshed. One that no longer was tainted. Like, you know, uh, like his was. He was seeking a brand new heart. And that's exactly what God desires to do for you and for me. When we truly repent of our sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man or woman be in Christ, they become a new creature. All things are passed away. Everything becomes new. Look, only God can do that. Only God can take you. Because I I know that we've all had those times where we're just totally condemned inside. Just convicted of sin and feel horrible. Because you did something. You did something really bad. And you feel the guilt and the shame of that thing. Okay, we've all been there. But man, when God comes in and he just forgives and cleanses, it's amazing how that rottenness can be removed just instantly. You know, it's kind of like you ever had something in a Tupperware bowl or a plastic bowl in a refrigerator and it's been in there like forever and you forgot about it and you open it up and it's like, ah, it's just like, you know, just you know, sewage in that thing. And it's like, it's got hair, it's got, and it's just a smell like, oh my goodness, it's just rotten. Well, that's what happens to us when we hold our sin in and we don't confess it to God. We start rotting on the inside. But then the Lord can just come in and just clean it out. Just get all the bacteria gone, just cleanses completely and oh what a blessing that is but this isn't being taught in many churches today in our culture about having to repent pastors don't want to confront people on their sin because they're afraid they get up and walk out the door and their tithe dollars will go too but what would you rather have would you rather have a church filled with a bunch of slack jaws or a church that has true believers in it I'd rather have a church that was smaller with true believers than a bigger church that's filled with a bunch of riffraff of people that don't truly believe. Yes, Jesus here, though, he was the God man, and he was different. He made sense. He talked to the people in a way that they could totally understand. He made having a relationship with God seem obtainable. Like, like obtainable. That's what I want people to know here. I want people to know if you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this, you're in total sin. And if you don't change your course, you're going to go to hell in a handbasket. But if you desire to get right with God and you turn from your sin, boy, you can be forgiven today. Today, right now. See, I want people to know that getting right with God is obtainable at the moment. Yes, God put it into reach. Jesus put it into the reach of the average person, where the average person could hear and understand it. 
Well, earlier in this chapter, Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast with the Jews. Uh, that was the feast, the booth or tabernacles. It was a celebration of their time that they spent in the wilderness and how God you know, provided for them. But uh, his brothers wanted him to go. Uh, but again, Jesus says, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go in. Why? Because verse 1 said the Jews were seeking to kill him. So chapter 7, verse 1, the Jews wanted to kill him. And so verse 6, Jesus said, my time is not yet at hand. So I'm not going to go in there so they can kill me. But Jesus ended up going to Jerusalem anyway at the right time. And with that as a backdrop, we're going to consider three points in light of our title, Having to Wait. Number one, seeking Jesus. It's like people were seeking Jesus. Is he here? Is he here? It's like, like, where is he? I don't know where he's at. Uh, Number two, uh, how can it be? You know, how can it be that this Jesus, he didn't go to seminary. He wasn't taught by all the leading rabbis of the day. How can he know the word of God like he knows and communicate it to the people where the people are drawn to him? How can that be? And number three, who's thirsty? Jesus says, anybody thirsty here? Anyone have a thirst in their soul that's looking for something to fill the emptiness on the inside? Well, let's look at our first point first, seeking Jesus. As we read together in John chapter 7, picking up in verse 11 says, So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, Where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, uh, Jesus is a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Uh, Yet no one was speaking openly of him for the fear of the Jews. But when it was now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began to teach. People are looking for Jesus all over Jerusalem. And where's he at? He's in the temple. It's like he's right there. But as the people gathered to celebrate the Feast of the Booths or Tabernacles, it's a seven-day feast in Jerusalem. The city was packed, and the topic of conversation with everyone was, where is Jesus? Even the religious leaders were asking where he is. As the people were debating, well, who is Jesus really? Some said he's a good man. Others thought he was a troublemaker. It sounds just like today, doesn't it? For people are still talking about Jesus 2,000 years later. Some say, well, he was a good moral leader, one to be admired. Others will say he was a prophet sent from God, while others claim that Well, he never existed. Prove Jesus existed. Yet still others say that he was just a mere man. And he was married to a woman named Mary Magdalene from the city of Magdala. And that's what happens when people give themselves over to books of fiction outside of the Bible. Remember that movie that was out, Tom Hanks, The Da Vinci Code? Remember the book, The Da Vinci Code? The author's name was Dan Brown. And you know what he used to write that book? He used the Gospel of Philip. You're thinking, Gospel of Philip? Where's that in the Bible? Well, it's not in the Bible, okay? But he used the Gospel of Philip as his resource for his information. But what Dan Brown leaves out is the reason why the Gospel of Philip was not included in the Bible is because the Gospel of Philip was written by Gnostics. The Gnostics were a group who claimed to have gained spiritual knowledge by self-illumination. 
Maybe they were on LSD. I mean, I don't know. They had, you know, maybe they were, you know, the cannabis tree. Who knows? But it was, there was just stuff they made up by their own self-illumination. They wrote the Gospel of Philip in 225 AD. That was 175 years after Philip, the disciple, died, okay? So this book has nothing to do with the Bible, okay? Understand, the Philip who walked with Jesus had nothing to do with this book. Dan Brown also used information from the Gospel of Thomas. Really? That was also written by the Gnostics around 200 AD. And like Philip, Thomas in the Bible, the disciple, had nothing to do with that book either. So those books are full of contradictory teachings, denying the deity of Christ, that he was God in the flesh. Listen to the last sentence in the Gospel of Thomas. This will give you an idea of what kind of book this is. It says, quote, in order for a woman to be saved, she must become a man. It's like, are you, like, and this is before the whole, you know, trans whole thing happened and everything, you know. So, so ladies, the only way you can be saved is you got to become a man. Okay, there you go. Okay, work that out, girls. But anyway, that's just how ridiculous this book is. But yet, people watched the Da Vinci Code. They took it as fact, and they used it as, you know, Jesus was just some guy married to this gal named Mary. Like, really? That's all the time we have for this message. Join us next time for part two. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Court Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Court Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Court Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at courtchurchla.org. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.